Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. We're going to be talking about Palm Sunday today, which I enjoy doing. Next week is going to be amazing, so... Some of your friends, some of your relatives are just waiting for an invitation. They're just waiting for an invitation. So we've got printed those up for you. Use those and until uh, uh, we run them out. I think we probably still have a couple hundred out there. So take a handful before you go home today. Uh, in, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. But I got to say that uh, missing, was it probably 30 guys on the counter? 30-something guys on the counter. I thought, yeah, I don't know if worship's going to be that strong today. I'm like, no, you guys made up for the 30-some-odd people that are missing, so that's great. We appreciate that. Just a great day. All the kids are getting palm leaves today uh, in uh, Children's Church behind me, and uh, it's a great day. So today is Palm Sunday, so we're going to do a a quick uh, review, a little bit of rehearsal of of what that timeline looks, looks like. Jesus was, um, well, before we go there, it's just Monday. Uh, tomorrow is the day that he went in and cleansed the temple. Then he goes to the Temple Mount. Wednesday, we don't really see anything happening. Thursday is the Last Supper. Friday is the trial, crucifixion, death, and burial. And then, of course, we're awaiting the resurrection uh, next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All week long, we're having video devotions in the evening, so check the Facebook page out for that. We'll be gathering every night together online and be a part of the family that way. So all of those events, the week of Palm Sunday, the Passion Week, all of that uh, can be found in each of the Gospels. Those of you listening online are taking notes, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So that's our topic for the morning. Lord Jesus, help us to uh, understand the gravity of what it is that you did for us. Thank you for this beautiful day, a day of celebrating that you are the king of kings. In Jesus' name, amen. So he's arriving from the east. He comes to the top of the Mount of Olives. He directs two of his disciples, go get that donkey, that little colt, that baby donkey that's never been written. Go get that. And if somebody asks you, just say, hey, the master needs it. So the guys take off to Bethpage, Bethany, right up there by the top of the Mount of Olives. They, it unfolds just as Jesus had said. They bring the colt to Jesus who'd never been ridden. And they begin to move, continue to move east towards the eastern gate on the east uh, side of Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley, and as they do, people begin to assemble, and they begin to weigh palm branches. They put their coats on the donkey, they put their coats on the road, and they quote three scripture as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Blessed is the king, blessed is the coming king of our father David, Isaiah 56, 7. They shout Hosanna, which means save us. Save us right now. That's what Hosanna means. So they shouted Hosanna in the highest, which is a scripture quote from Jeremiah 7. And then from Psalm 118, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I want you to begin to get the picture of what's happening. It's Passover. Passover is just not one day, incidentally, 
Uh, Passover is seven, eight days long, depending, but it's, let's say it's seven days long. And so we have the sacrifice of the Passover sheep in the Exodus story, but they didn't cross the Red Sea until seven days later. That's why Passover ends up being a seven-day festival. So um, this is the season that we're approaching, is the season of Passover. If you lived in the vicinity of Jerusalem, you had to make a pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. Lots of things happening. Lots of people everywhere. Think of, you might try to drive downtown during the marathon yesterday, the half marathon. What a pain, right? I mean, God bless the runners. Good for them. But I had a place to go, and I had to go like way out of my way to get there. Uh, you know, when, when the city is overrun during some festival or whatever, just imagine the size of Springfield doubling, because that's what happened. There was twice as many people. So there's quite the crowd. Now you have this miracle worker for the last three years who's coming to Jerusalem, and everybody sees him, and, he knows, and they know that he's coming. And some people that were not totally aware of Jesus' spiritual ministry thought he was really coming to take care of the Romans, because the Romans were running the city of Jerusalem at the time. Israel was an occupied territory. Rome ran the show. They just let the Jews do their thing. So now here comes Jesus. Boom. He's coming right in the eastern gate just to fulfill prophecy. They start shouting prophecy. They think, oh man, Herod's gone. Caesar's gone. We're going we're gonna to finally get Jerusalem back. They're saying, save us. Right? <laughs> Make Jerusalem great again. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know what they were shouting. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Um, and so that was, the, that was the political atmosphere. Not a religious atmosphere, but a political atmosphere in the light of the fact that Passover was happening. And so some of the really religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ruling parties, like Democrats and Republicans, Pharisees, Sadducees, they had a Sanhedrin, they ran the city, they ran the country religiously, they start hearing this and they start putting two and two together because they've been keeping an eye on Jesus for the last three years and they know that something's really up here because we're not just talking about Rome, we're talking about how he is going to actually change what's going on in Jerusalem, spiritually speaking. And so they begin to yell at Jesus and they say, tell your people to be quiet. They start yelling at the crowd, hey, knock, and they didn't have bullhorns, they're just going around, hey, knock it off. Be quiet. Don't be yelling that kind of stuff. And so there was all kinds of problems, right? Jesus replied, I love it, if they keep quiet, what? The stones will cry out. So today is Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry, as we call it. And so we raise our palms. Go ahead, raise your palms. Oh, see, so you're so smart. That's what I like about you people. We raise our palms. Right? On Palm Sunday. So why do we raise our palm? I'm just going to take a couple minutes and then we're going to have communion together. Write these down. Number one, we raise our palms because we are weak. But Jesus is strong. Can I get an amen? amen. Romans seven eighteen. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have desire to do what is good, but I, I, I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Wow. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, 
It is no longer I who do it, but the sin living inside of me that does it. So I find this law at work within me. When I want to do good, evil is just like right there next to me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law that's also at work within my body, the members of my, and it's waging war against the law, my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul says to himself then, Paul's writing this, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Paul is saying that, and he's born again. This is is in Romans chapter 7. He says, man, I am really really a mess. You're going to find that when you begin to think you got all your stuff together, that's when the enemy comes and he just says, really, really, you, th- you think you got it all together. Let me throw a couple things in your way, right? Why? Because pride is the predecessor to failure. When you're walking around like you're all that, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be. So you need to walk in humility. And Paul says, listen, even me, Paul, I want to do the right things, but so often I don't do what I want to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing those. What, what a pathetic He's saying, what a wretched person I am. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a a wretch. This is where this comes from. This is where this comes from. And I know it's not real popular, not in today's feel-good society, where I'm supposed to, you know, just, you know, not pet your hair backwards, right? And then you tell your kids with the dog, don't don't, don't pet their hair backwards. It's going to irritate them. You know, give them a nice long stroke. Right? That's, that's, that's dangerous from where I'm sitting. Because then we don't end up having ourselves once in a while shaken to the fact, you know what? Without the Lord helping us, we are really wretched. Well, I'm not that bad. Oh, yes, you are. Come on up here. Come on up here and tell us your innermost secret thoughts for the last week. Or better yet, We've already tapped into your brain, and we have it on the screen for you this morning. Let's dim those lights, and let's see right Ah, we got nervous all of a sudden. We're all weak. Yeah, we are. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds were healed. Here it is. We all like sheep know exactly what we're doing. No, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We are weak, but Jesus is strong. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So yes, you are weak, but if his power, not your power, if his power is within you, then you can say that you're strong. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he began a good work, will what? Complete it. If he started it, he'll finish it. So we raise our palms. We shout Hosanna because we are weak. But he is strong. Secondly, we're stained but Jesus washes us. And as I thought about that, I remember the old title was designed with mothers in mind to get out the dirt kids get into. Remember that old commercial? Anybody? 
The blood of Jesus was designed with his children in mind to get out the stains that you get on your clothes. And I began to think, you know, I, I, I mean, I dyed some Easter eggs yesterday with the, with the, grand, with the grandkids, got stained. But I thought, who, who gets messy? And I have a few pictures of some messy people. And what this is, this is a metaphor of what we look like without Jesus. Before we know Jesus, what does our life look like? We're going from ditch to ditch, from mud puddle to mud puddle. Getting That's me right there. Yeah, that's me right there. Without Jesus, there you go. And then my favorite is the last one right here, that one. Now just let that burn into your mind. This is what we look like before Jesus washes us. This is what you look like without the blood of Jesus applied to your life in the spiritual realm. Malachi 3 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me when suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. He is the great cleaner. Can we go back to my muddy guy, my last muddy guy? He is the great cleaner. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier, and he will purify the Levites like gold and silver. Without him, we are slugs in the mud. However, Isaiah 1, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall now be white as snow, the, the red as crimson, and they shall be, the implication in here is, white as wool. I don't know how dirty you feel after sinning. Hopefully you have some remorse. Hopefully you have the Holy Spirit that's convicting you, that you just haven't become so seared in your heart that you just continue to go on doing things that you know break his heart. Like if you were married and then he discovered what it was that you were doing, that would really break his heart. And so when we have our lives, whether you've never given your heart to him or whether someone has just taken a mud ball or you've taken it and squished it on yourself, we need to continually be cleansed. We need to have the righteousness of God applied to our lives. Why do we raise our palms? Because we're weak, yes, and because we're dirty, yes. We're weak, but he is strong. We are dirty, but he cleanses us. Are you beginning to catch this? You gotta understand, the reason that we can shout Hosanna with a smile on our face is because we know the other half of the equation, that Jesus is strong and that Jesus is washing us. But until we have him in our life, we are weak and we're stained. And we have a propensity to wanna go back to weakness and stained life. Why? Because we're constantly bombarded with the commercials that Aaron watches on Saturday morning with the kids during, during <laughs> cartoons. Why? We're just bombarded every day from your coworkers to your, perhaps your family, television, radio, the media, your phone, all that stuff, telling you a biblical standard is not right. In fact, you know, there's all kinds of other standards. In fact, there's no really absolute truth and quit being so judgmental and just sit down and be quiet and so you're some sort of cowering Christian in the corner. So we're weak. That's why we raise our palms. We're stained, that's why we raise our palms. And we do thirdly because we owe a debt. I don't know how much debt you owe. We just did a, uh, what do you call it, Dave Ramsey? Financial Peace University. And uh, um, 
I think there was tens of thousands of dollars that was paid off during that. Getting out of debt is a good thing. If you can do that, work your way to get there because it's a, it's a liberating feeling to get there and to have no debt. But even if you were to pay off your house, uh, oh, I own my house. No, you don't. No, you don't really. <laughs> Miss a quarterly tax payment. See, see if that's really your house. Right? They're, they're gonna, they'll, sell your, they'll sell your house for the taxes that you owe on it. So, so yeah, not, not, not cool. So you have a debt even when you think you, you're debt free. So let's say you live somewhere where there's not even taxes. Well, that's hard to believe. <laughs> you know, I have, I have prepared for you something you may not be aware that there is, but there's actually a clock that tracks how much debt America has. And so I'm prepared to show that to you. It's called the usdebtclock.org. You can go to this website. It's live right now, the US Debt Clock. And in all those categories, it tells you how we're doing and spending money. So Aaron, I'm going to ask that you zoom in to the upper left-hand corner of that so we can see what the national debt is right now this morning. Okay, there we go. A little bit more. Okay, so we're at $31 trillion and going backward right now. Can you see that? That's how much debt you owe. Well, yes, kind of. So let's move over a couple. Let's move over to debt per taxpayer, right? $246,868. So that means, can I, have, can I have Jubilee for a second? This is my fourth granddaughter. How old is she now? Uh, eight months. Eight months. This is Jubilee. Stay right there. You can have her back. This is Jubilee's platform debut. Everybody say, hey, Jubilee. Hey, Jubilee. There she is. We, Juby, Juby for short. But Juby owes a quarter million dollars to Uncle Sam. <laughs> she doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. <laughs> but here's the reality. Here's the reality. She owes a quarter of a million dollars to the federal government. The point is this, the point is this, oh, by the way, I did a little uh, uh, multiplication quick. That is, you will owe like $310,000 in the next three years. There's a place, there's a little time machine on this, on this that you can go forward in time and see what the debt will be in the future. And you can actually go back in time. And I went back in time to when I graduated from high school, which is 1980. I'll do the math for you. I'm 60. So I did, I, I went back to 1980 with this clock and we weren't even $1 trillion in debt. We were about $750,000, $750 million, billion, billion rather. So you see how that's going. It doesn't look good for us. In fact, Zoom in to the very bottom of that where it says U.S. federal debt to, to, GB, to GDP, gross, to net, gross domestic product. Uh, can we, no more? Okay. So on the left, you see 1980, then you see 19, uh, a year 2000. And now, look at that. For the first time, we are spending 120.36% more than we take in. So that's for every $100... For every $100, they're spending $120. So that'd be like you just running 20% over budget and not really caring. You know why? Because you can go to the basement and print more. Which then makes everybody else's, this is an economics lesson here for a second, which then makes everybody else's dollar worth less because you're just printing it out of thin air. 
because it certainly doesn't have to be backed by anything. It's not backed by gold. It's not backed by silver. I digress. I'm talking about debt that we all owe. You can never pay that. I don't think most people walk around with $246,000 in their pocket to pay back the federal debt. But we all have a debt. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times, Jesus answered. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 mm-hmm, times seven. So that's 490. No, you legalistic person, you. <laughs> Just wait till the 491st time you cross me. Then, no, that's not how it works. This is a metaphor for without end. Without end. The number of seven completeness. He goes seven times, but 77 times. Goes right on with this parable. Next verse, he doesn't skip anything. He says, therefore, because of that, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, that's your phrase that says we're about to hear a parable. A king who wanted to settle accounts went to his servants and began to settle accounts and a man who owed him 10,000 talents, talent is a form of weight, he was brought to him of silver. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all be taken as slaves to pay the debt. The servant fell to his knees, verse 26, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled his debt. How much was it? Well, 10,000 talents. That's 375 tons of silver at $20.69 a troy ounce, 29,169 troy ounces per ton. I did the math. 10,000 talents would equal, believe it or not, what you owe on your federal national debt, $226,291,702.50. That's a lot of money that he was forgiven, just wiped away. Of course, we know the rest of the story where he goes out and, and he throttles somebody for the $3 that he's owed. But the point of the parable, besides we should forgive, is that you were forgiven a tremendous debt. Even though you didn't feel it, even though you didn't wake up this morning thinking, I owe the federal government $226,000, that's a very weighty thing. If you want to know what that begins to feel like, just wait till you get audited by the IRS. If you've ever been audited, you feel like you owe them everything because you don't know. So $226,000, the man was forgiven. We all have a debt. His was forgiven. Yours was forgiven. Matthew 6, 9. Then Jesus said, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. That's the real Greek word. I know old, old timers like me will say trespasses. It's always interesting to hear that when you lead it because you got debtors, you got trespassers. But at the end of the day, the word means debt, that you have a debt. Why do you have a debt? Because you sin. Not me. Oh, yes, you have. You're covered like one of those mutters. You're broken. You're a wretch. You're dirty. But Jesus paid your debt. Forgive us, Lord, our debts, just like we forgive those who have debts against us. And then in John 19, the end of this week, during the Passion, he says it is finished. He paid the debt. Jesus paid the debt. First John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm weak. And I'm happy to say that in my weakness, I'm actually pretty strong. 
because I allow him to be my strength, Amen. not my own strength. I'm stained. I got red dye number two on my fingers from Easter eggs yesterday. But if we would put on spiritual glasses and see the mud that's in this auditorium this morning, the tracks, the dirty seats, we should be thankful and raise our palms that he cleanses us. And thirdly, that we owe a debt. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And that's why we're here today to celebrate communion. So uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going to release you to receive communion, and then we'll pray, and the morning will be done, but I want to give you a little bit of instruction, and I want to read this scripture. Because it all begins this week, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you are actually proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy, and we're going to talk about that, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself, and that is why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So the Lord's communion, it's called the Lord's table, it's called the Eucharist, which is uh, the Greek word for thanksgiving. It's called communion, breaking bread. What is it? It's a memorial. It's a time of remembering and a time of proclaiming. The bread and wine is the representation of Jesus' body and his blood. In Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now the, bre the bread and the wine are not actually the body and the blood of Jesus. It's a metaphor. And so we don't believe that the bread turns into the physical flesh of Christ, nor do we believe that the juice or the wine transforms into the image or into the blood of Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice was for you. And so he says when you hold that bread, and when you have that juice or wine in your hand, you're looking at something to remember me by my sacrifice. Who's it for? Well, it's for everyone. Jesus uh, says that if you receive communion, you should be part of the church, not Destiny Church or whatever church that you come from. This table if you could see it in the spirit realm, stretches all the way around the globe this morning. Every tribe, every nation, remembering what Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 10, is not this the cup of thanksgiving which we were given to participation in the blood of Jesus? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we are many. 
are one body, we partake of the one loaf. It is an outward sign, something we do as a symbol to recognize Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. 1 Corinthians 11, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, but you've got to be worthy. That's the sticking point, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 7 says this, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So what makes us worthy or unworthy? Well, it's how you look at salvation. If you think you've earned your salvation by the good things that you've done, you're not worthy because all of your righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. So how does anyone become worthy then? It's by grace, through faith in Christ, that we know that we are worthy. It's, no, it's nothing of your own. It's that he did it for you, having received Christ as your savior. So that means communion should not be taken by people who aren't believers. You need to be a believer in Jesus. Otherwise, you, what are you doing? So you are free not to take it today if you don't love Jesus. If you're here today and, and, and you, you don't have a commitment to serve and to love the Lord, please don't do this. It says many of you are sick and fall asleep, and that's a colloquialism for dying because you're unworthy of, of, of doing this, such hypocrisy. But you say, well, man, I am so broken. I came in, you, Pastor, if you saw how muddy I am, I was, well, listen, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as wool. How? By grace, through faith, God, I am so sorry. I repent. Please forgive me. I don't need that in my life anymore. I want to serve you. I desire to serve you. Wash me clean. Boom, done. Just like that. Just like that. That's how you become worthy. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want any of the participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So choose you this day. If you serve the Lord, take communion with us. If you're desiring to serve the Lord, take communion with us. But if you're like, nah, it's not for me, don't do it, please. So we raise our palms because we're weak, but he is strong. We are stained, but he washes us. We owe a debt, but he paid it. And so I'm gonna ask the staff to uncover the elements this morning. I'm gonna make a bit of an explanation to you, and then you're going to move to this table or that table, and you can form multiple lines, but here's the deal. Uh, at each table, you're going to have the option of having juice or wine, and they're clearly labeled, so if you, have a, if you have a desire for one or the other or you prefer one over the other, that's why we do that. So that if you're a juice person, there's juice for you. If you're a wine person, then there's wine for you, okay? And then take your uh, bread and then return to your seat and then we'll pray together and take communion together, okay? All right, so let me release you just a second and then we'll go. Father, may this time together as we sit and we contemplate and meditate on the sacrifice that you made for us so that we can be clean and so that we can be strong. God, let this be a day of great remembrance of what you've done, that you paid it all. In Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.